Hello and welcome to Mended Teacups. Molly and I are in our own homes, but we have our cups of tea and we're ready to have a chat about some of our home education experiences. Molly, do you want to talk about what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, we've got a great other question that's come in, which is fantastic. So please do keep questions coming in. This one is, how do I keep my child still for long enough to, to be able to learn? You know, if we've got a really, really fidgety children or a really fidgety child, how on earth do we do any learning with those children? Yes. So, Helen, do you want to do you want to start off? Well, firstly, none of my children were specially wiggly. But I have learned over the years that actually moving does not stop learning. I think that's our key point we both of us would like to make this week, wouldn't we? Children moving and even children doing something else doesn't stop them learning. And this was quite interesting as I was discovering it for myself, really, with my children. My husband would come in and be a bit worried or shocked that I let the children play Lego or something else quietly while I was reading to them. And he had to sort of get to the point that I had got to already to understand that actually that was helping them learn. So even now, still, while I'm doing the reading part of our day, the girls may well be doing knitting or something else. Or when they were younger, it might have been Play-Doh. It had to be quiet and it has to not involve words. They can't be reading something else themselves or writing. But actually doing something with their hands while they're listening, really, it does actually help them take it in. So that's certainly one thing. I think another thing I'd love to say is children are born to move. (laughs) And especially, I'm thinking boys, are we thinking stereotypes here? But often it's the boys, isn't it, who who find it hardest to sit still and hardest to sort of come and sit and get on with this thing. But actually, particularly boys, they do need to move. It's part of their physiology. And some girls as well, they just need to get those wriggles out of them. So I think you can't fight that and you have to come to a place where you you're working with it or alongside it so i suppose one of the things is start your day with something active isn't it get out for a walk or do your pe at the beginning of the day you know some of the wriggles get out that way don't they how about you have you had wriggly ones <laughs> or do you sit still and quiet no not at all two out of four are complete wriggly absolutely moving so I think, as always, that the second one is getting a, a better deal out of me than the first one. <laughs> first wiggly child, I just couldn't, he's dyslexic as well. And, you know, I've had to do an awful lot of learning about dyslexia and everything that goes with that as we've gone along. But I did notice that he simply couldn't sit still. So in a sense, when he was little, it was actually easier because I, in some ways, I didn't actually have any expectation that being a little little boy, you know, primary school age, he would sit still. I just, I just thought that was a strange expectation to think that a six or seven year old boy would want to sit still. <laughs> so, so it was harder for me but when he hit sort of secondary school age and I thought actually he probably should be sitting still by now. So when he was little, um, we just went with it and we did lots of outdoor learning. He's never been to school. So we'd get out every day, whatever the weather. We'd do lots of, lots of hands-on projects, kind of physical projects. I was looking over um, I've been doing a bit of sort out, as I'm sure lots of us have at the moment, and just found some of their own their old projects, kind of books that we did, and a, a lot of kind of hands-on stuff that we did. We did lots of going out, visiting museums, 
you know, he would listen, he would always ask questions to people. And absolutely, as you said, sit and have Play-Doh or, or Lego or give a train set or, or whatever it was while I was reading. So I think that was easier. I think what I found harder was in secondary years when I was thinking, gosh, you know, we have got kind of a potentially exams coming up and that's a whole different one. We've talked about exams and whether you do exams or whether you don't. But I had that in my mind because he was my first wiggly child. So, and actually the thing that really, really helped me was I read a book by Diana Waring and I used her uh, syllabus and she talks about um, her educational kind of foundation behind her curriculum. And I found that incredibly inspiring because she, she talks about that actually some children just are, as Helen said, they are just wiggly and that's a strength. We can see that, you know, often, often our sort of conforming lifestyle, maybe ex expectations of conformity might say that actually that's something that is, that is not good, but actually it can be a strength. And it's also God created us all differently. And some children, he did create very much as kind of thinking and needing to needing facts and and being very ordered in their minds and and some are very feely you know we've all got we we are all different and some just are very movement orientated well I'll put the link in she's got a blog but she talks about the four learning styles of the feeler which is very much a people person an intuitor who has a kind of like an ideas person that's not so good at following through the thinker um, and then the sensor which is the hands-on and so I'd say that maybe our children who are very um, wiggly all the time actually maybe are our sensors on the Myers-Briggs scale. They, they need to do hands-on things, which is why projects with small children um, or younger children are good. Um, and actually, even with older children now, I will I'll go with that now. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, um, you know, since we had that question ra raised. I was thinking, actually, probably naturally, I have let the children move around for their learning, possibly more than I have kind of realised because I was thinking of how I don't always expect them, for example, to write up what they've learned. Sometimes they get to act it out and we might video that to show someone else later or they've done reports. So partly it's learning, it's spotting where you can let them move and, and get, get some of the learning happening in that kind of mobile way, isn't it? Letting them not have to sit and write down everything that they do. And, you know, for maths, like maths drill, there's a certain point with maths that you do have to sort of sit down and work out a page of sums, don't you? But a lot of maths drill type stuff and practicing, you can be doing that jumping up and down. You can, you know, you can be reciting your times tables or your number bonds to 10, can't you? Jumping up and down or up and down the stairs or something. And as you go up the stairs, you go up the number bonds, whatever it might be. And you can make it a bit more fun and enjoyable and, and mobile and a bit more of a game and a bit more active for the children who need it. There comes a point when you say to your child, OK, I, I need you to sit down and have a look at this for a few minutes. But it's not going to be when they're little, is it? It's going to be when they get to a bit, a bit older and then they can understand why that's needed, isn't it? I think there's probably a lot of pressure at the moment. I think some families are being sent home work from school. The families who are COVID schooling are, are finding that they're being sent home work from school and they feel they have to achieve it all. And, you know, they have to push, not push the child, they have to get their child to sort of tick off all the boxes that day. And I think perhaps if you can kind of take a step back and think of the bigger picture, you might find there's more to education, there's more to your child's childhood than getting that page of work done. 
you can be a bit creative I think I would encourage you to try and be a bit creative yeah I totally agree with that about getting getting our children to in a sense report back or, or narrate things or tell the story in ways other than sitting down and writing especially if you have a child who sort of has issues with that as well like dyslexia clay is quite a good one as well play dough when they're young and then clay when they're older and salt dough you know like when we were learning about sort of ancient ancient peoples um you know the medes and the persians or or, or you know, ancient civilizations you know would we could would make we made salt dough plaques and and things like that so there are kind of other ways other creative ways of doing it mm. i think um the, the other thing that diana wearing talked which is some research that came out of Harvard University. It was a long, long time ago, and I haven't read the original research, but I've seen it quoted in various other sources. And I think certainly I was brought up with generally thinking that, you know, people who were clever were either the ones that were good at English or the ones that were good at maths. You were a clever child if you could do one or the other. Um, this research, which totally, which I guess I came to when, as my really wiggly dyslexic son was going into a second, secondary school yeah and she talks about sort of eight different ways so if i'll just go through i'll put the link in but go through that because you just might notice this and she says that everybody has all these different bits of aspects of all these different it's not that some children are more intelligent than others we just all have different types of intelligence so the first one is um is intrapersonal and that's a child who actually is very resourceful they need to spend time by themselves in order to um, be able to think they're quite self-motivated the second one is a I must say this right the naturalist actually the one who just loves nature um, and certainly our two girls are like this um, they just love being out they're always especially the youngest one is always bringing in bugs and and slugs and all sorts of things you know she brings in butterflies little birds you know <laughs> um, they love gardening tactile stuff all of that is all really good Another one, which I think is will be our, our really wiggly children, um, are the body kinesthetic. So they're kind of like body smart. They're the ones that have to move. And actually, that is a gift. And in fact, our son, who is was like this, is actually now he plays rugby. He's a real, he loves rugby. And he's, he's doing sports B-Tech at college. And he wants to go into the outdoors and do kind of probably do outdoors leadership in some way. His, his wiggliness is actually, was actually a really good thing and he's going to be using it for his future life. She talks about spatial people who are picture smart, who kind of need to, um, to see pictures and do a lot of kind of design, things like Lego and stuff. Um, musical, that people that need music all the time and just love music and music is a part of, part of their personality and their learning. Interpersonal, which is the kind of people smart, the people who are very... Um, uh, intuitive about with other people which also our wiggly son is very much like that as well um, the maths logical and then the linguistic which are the two traditional ones so I think once I saw that and once I saw that actually it wasn't that it was wrong my wiggly children it was wrong it was actually part of who God made them to be and this is a wonderful gift a wonderful ability they have and what can we do to actually encourage them in this so that they can rather than saying sit down sit down to encourage them in it so I think that's the other way of seeing your wiggly children see it as part of who they are, part of who God made them to be and, you know, encourage them in that. Yeah, I think that is, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the traditional thing is, come on, sit down, you need to calm that set down now and get on with this. But I think once you can see that the learning happens, I think some children, then they're so focused on trying to be good and sit still 
they haven't got any capacity there's no space in their brain as it were to take in what you're trying to teach them anyway they're so focused on oh I've got to sit still oh I'm not allowed to move oh I don't enjoy this oh this is really hard that's their internal monologue which then you know there's no room for learning is there there's no room for getting those that information to come in whereas there are times I think even the wriggliest children do like a snuggle up on the sofa for the story so it's not that they're moving constant well it probably feels <laughs> I, I know for some friends of mine it does feel like their child is constantly on the move uh, from the moment they wake up till the moment they sleep at night but there are moments and I think if you try and think of that think in the round think of that whole personality and think as you say think of how God's designed them to be and that's what you want isn't it if God's designed them in a certain way given them strengths and abilities in certain ways then that's part of their plan that's part of their the life path that is for them and you don't want them thinking oh because I can't do these things I don't like doing them that I'm somehow less or somehow not you know somehow lacking yeah absolutely and yes so with my older one I even when we were sort of sitting and doing more sort of structured learning in when he was sort of secondary school age sort of heading up towards potentially GCSEs he would always sit sit next to me on the sofa and he'd always have something to do a bit of lego to fiddle with or a pencil and an elastic band to make a catapult or <laughs> there was always something um and with my the young my youngest one who is also um i'm fairly short dyslexic and she finds it other other than if she's sitting snuggling on the sofa with her stories which we we're doing today which was lovely but that's about the only time she will sit still so actually we do a lot of work on the floor just playing games word games and things and actually sitting doing it on the floor and I think just the other thing to kind of to throw in is to know your kids and to know that how much of it is just simply personality which um, so therefore it's something to, to be said you know to be celebrated and to, to encourage which is like my oldest son but actually if, if there are other issues there as well other behavioral issues or educational issues and a child is really struggling um, and then that's when actually it, it helps to have some outside input or just outside advice just so that you can kind of know in a sense what you're dealing with and how best you can try to to help that child mm. um because there will sometimes which is a, was a case with our other child so yeah so that's also useful to have input as well yeah and I think when there are those times when you you do need to sit down for a while you know your child and you know how long they can cope with sitting down and it may be every 15 minutes 20 minutes whatever it might be you have to remind them, okay, up you get five jumping jacks or up you get run around the table, whatever it might be, just get the oxygen pumping back again, get the wriggles out again. And you build that into your day, don't you? I think, you know, my, my children aren't particularly, they don't have to be particularly on the move while they're learning, but you can sense, oh, everything's just dipped. You know, this is sort of the mood dips around the table and you think, okay, up you get, chop, chop, let's go and, you know, run around the garden or whatever it might be. And sometimes now my children will decide to do that for themselves. They rec- start started recognizing that in themselves. So they will say, I'm just, I've just got to go down the hill and back, you know, I've just got to run around the block, whatever it might be. They've swatted that. And sometimes, you know, I can see that they need to do that. And, and there's a bit of a, Oh, do I have to, but they, they will admit, I think, yes, that would help me feel a lot better. I always remember, and this really did help me this little story when the uh, mother, she had, four children so she was teaching officially teaching the three older ones the little one was younger than school age so the little one was sort of you know quietly playing with his toys while she had the three older ones sitting around the table to do the learning and she would read to them this passage 
and then she would ask the questions about the, what they had just read and it was the little one who answered a lot of the questions <laughs> and that's when she realized actually that a lot of learning was happening while the little one was moving because they were content and happy and whatever and the older ones were finding it hard to sit still and listen and that's when she relaxed that rule and I thought yeah that I can understand that does make sense and like you say there's different people different personalities aren't there and it's different sometimes it's hard to go against what you kind of think you know inside you but if you observe your children you can see it makes sense for them and hopefully yeah. build that in <laughs> thank you no that's brilliant Helen I, I just think it's one of the fantastic things about home ed is that we actually can far more mold our education around our children's needs and and I just think that that is an incredible blessing and privilege even on the hard days you know I just think what an amazing blessing this is okay just before we finish with um something Helen's going to share with us which I want to hear um we thought we would do two more um after this and then we'll break for our summer um so the next two will hopefully put lots of links and lots of resources in just um, different things uh, that we can do to use our summer well to really to make the most of the summer um, and to use our summer well and I think often during the summer holidays I find it's time when actually when um, I'm not having to in a sense do quite as much structured teaching and so I just have time to input in myself a little bit more so so hopefully the next two will be really useful and inspirational ones um, to take you up for holidays but before this we actually finished our term today I decided because it was hot and I decided we're done everything and Helen is I think you finished or just about finished so please tell us I want to know about one of your celebrations you've got coming up yes we're nearly at the end of our year of American history well I think we've spent longer than a year on it but we're coming to the end of it it's been really really interesting especially it's been so timely these last few chapters because Today we were doing the moon landings and of course we were all watching the, the International Space Centre not that long ago. Yesterday we were covering the issues of race, so that's a huge one at the moment. So that's bringing up big topics to discuss and so on. So it's been great and it's, I chose to do the American history because I do think, you know, America is a big player in the world today and it's very helpful instead of just going, what are they doing? To understand where countries have come from and, and why things are the way they are. So it's been it's been very, very interesting. This is the second time we've been through American history, but it's a number of years since we did it the first time. So uh, and I'm doing it with my second and third instead of my first and second child. So it's kind of been new for all of us in some ways. Anyway, it's nearly July the 4th, which is obviously an American day of celebration. And uh, that is also our dog's birthday. So <laughs> July the 4th. So we thought we would have our celebration to finish our year of American history with an American themed celebration on July the 4th. We'll be waving our stars and stripes and eating American food. Not sure what that might be. Hot dogs, perhaps, <laughs> she says in a very stereotypical manner. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Have a slight American party. Oh, that sounds such fun. I think, you know, I think we all need to be putting parties and celebrations in at the moment just because I mean, it's been a long, old, long, old few months, hasn't it? So that's we will think of you on July the 4th with your style stripes. <laughs> I did slightly alarm the girls because I said, oh, and the other thing you can do is get the notebooks that you've been making through the year and share them with daddy and the other people and other people in our family. And she said, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what they've been writing in those notebooks over the last little yeah. while. <laughs> oh, well, I hope you have a brilliant day on July the 4th. I'm thinking if we'll 
no we will probably podcast before then won't we anyway thank you very much and thank you everybody for listening and we will very much look forward to speaking to you again in um, next week with some ideas to set us up for holidays bye-bye then bye-bye